0: The SP, the stops. This is Motley Fool
1: Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is practicing social distancing and a whole lot of hand hygiene. I'm Scott Phillips and with me, as always, in these straightened times, Dr. Uniyabhan Mahati. Good, Doc, how are you? I'm very good, Captain. How are you? I'm exceptionally well, thank you, sir. We are in a workplace and we are practicing the appropriate social distancing, but... We did want to bring people to the podcast for as long as we can. At some point, this may need to go virtual. We might need to use a Zoom or a Skype or a something. I assume there's an Apple product we could be using if you made yeah, if, me. If, yeah, if there's a good Apple product,
2: <laughs> we'll find one and we'll use it. And you'll buy an Apple Mac and that'll be awesome.
1: Yeah. Mate, things like that desperate just yet. We'll see how we'll see how we go. This might all actually
2: right. turn out to be a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> From a bad thing.
1: Oh dear. Oh dear. All right. Hey. All right. So mate, look we, Enough of a tangent, right? Well wow, well, that's that's all we do. If we didn't have tangents, people would wonder what podcast they were listening to. Um, mate, all about coronavirus again this week. And we will say again, um, we'll do a bit of coronavirus referencing, a bit of kind of what's new, what's news, what we're thinking, and then we'll get on to your questions. Um, As I said last time, you know, hopefully this is useful for our listeners. Um, I I assume it is. Uh, Obviously, people looking to find out what to buy, what to sell, what not to own, how to think about the markets right now. And of course, it's all about coronavirus. There's simply nothing going on, almost nothing going on around and outside that, right? It's all coronavirus related. So let's, let's start from the top. Um, and I'll just give you a grab bag of stuff that we've had in the last seven days. and Then we can kind of work out what's next. Now, as with last week, we're recording this on Thursday morning. So again, whatever's happened since then, uh, by the time you're listening to this, you will know it, but we don't yet know it. I hope it's good news. Mate, so the big news is probably, this is this is almost bizarre, I have to say. I didn't realize this was the case. Apparently, yesterday, so Tuesday and Wednesday were positive days. Share prices were up. It's the first time we've had two consecutive days of share price rises in five weeks which is i mean it almost just law of averages right even in the worst scenario you think we would have had at least two consecutive days at some point in the last 25 but we hadn't until yesterday so i guess that's something we did see the largest rise in the us s&p since 1932 on i think it was monday night our time i mean tuesday night our time i'm losing my days um the us announced a two trillion dollar with a t stimulus package um that's that's another sort of you know piece in the in the puzzle. We've seen increased social distancing and, and frankly lockdown in New Zealand. Lots and lots of individual bits and pieces. Um, we've seen increased, some degree of increased restrictions here, although they were kind of, you know, the 30 minute haircuts thing got, got repealed pretty quickly. Um, uh, every job apparently is essential. And we also know, of course, and this is, this is to be very serious for a second, not that this isn't serious, but um, hundreds of thousands of people looking to be out of work at some point pretty soon. So lots going on. Maybe I can just get you to reflect on some of your, I won't say highlights, but what have you found most important, most worthwhile, most interesting over the last seven days or so?
2: Ooh, that's a hard question. You give me the old, you know, you just did the prelude and you, absolutely. Just, you just threw me under the bus. Mate, yeah. that is what
1: I'm here for. That is absolutely what I'm here for. <laughs> just throwing me All under the bus. All no responsibility. Uh, mate.
2: So, well, from, I, I think the stimulus packages are, you know, pretty much everybody's doing what? Mm. Like about 10% of GDP yeah. as roughly um, as, as stimulus, it seems. Like, you know, I think Germany also had a huge stimulus package that they've announced. Um,
1: okay, I missed that.
2: And yeah, I, I think between the news of the American stimulus package <laughs> and the Australian <laughs> stimulus package, those are two,
1: two things probably
2: <laughs> right. our newspapers actually picked up. I think right. this, got, um, this got left behind. So I think Germany's also announced a huge... There's yeah, so lots of stimulus all around to basically nurse the economy back every economy is suffering so that i think there is no doubt about that i think the um the worst hits hit i think are workers um in these businesses a lot of small to medium business medium-scale businesses cafes restaurants Mm. um you know dry cleaners you know the the odd shop around the corner all those guys you know right um are are hit uh, and it's not just in Australia but everywhere um, so th- so that is a problem yep. you know depending upon the economy this could account for 20% of you know the economy to 30% of the economy depends you know who, so it is it's a big problem so, it? And, and that's why you know we are talking about unprecedented um, stimulus um, social distancing, I guess, is increasing everywhere. Lots of different countries have announced, as you said, uh, increased stringent social distancing. They're all hoping to sort of flatten the curve and, mm-hmm. I guess, then you know, kickstart the economy again uh, slowly but surely. Um, from the market action, actually, is very interesting in my mind. Right, and it's interesting because. You know, we have had some of the fastest declines that we have seen in, I guess, in the last maybe 30, 40 years, right?
1: I, I, I've heard and I haven't verified this. It's the fastest decline of this size ever. So it's not, okay. it's, not it's not the biggest, but it's apparently the fastest. The fastest, fastest right? So the speed. Yeah. So,
2: I mean, some of that could just be because of technology, right? I mean, yeah. you know, now you can trade very quickly. The high-frequency traders can trade very quickly. There's a lot of ETF in the market. So a lot of things happen. Yeah. Uh, a lot of money flows very quickly. So that, that you know, it has... Felt Really sharp and yeah. fast.
1: It's also one of the this is probably the the first crash cycle. I mean that the flash crash Although not flash crash but black Monday in 87 the market fell 25% in a single day So that was kind of you know mm-hmm. that that was that was absolutely far and away the biggest most shocking single days trade Yeah, but I think to some degree to my mind anyway This is because this that the physical reality of the, you know, the world had the deal the, the virus has unfolded so incredibly quickly yeah. You know, the GFC kind of was a rolling unfolding of bad news. This one's gone from zero to 100 pretty much in, I mean, effectively weeks, right? Like, yeah. you can trace back with hindsight and say, okay, well, the first report was back here. So, it was a January 9, I think, or something like that. I mean, it's been going effectively for two months or two and a half months now. Um, but realistically, the kind of the point where we all went, oh, my God, was about February 20. Yeah. And that has been – a—I fin- think we've gone from this could be trouble – to this is bad. To we're locking down everything yeah. in five weeks, which I think is why, to some degree, that the, the financial markets have followed the, the physical world.
2: Yeah. the the The, the reason I, I think the volatility of the market is is interesting, or I shouldn't say interesting, but rather um, it's something to think about because you know we had so many days of you know down days, and then we've had a couple of you know big big up days. What is what I find interesting is. The updates almost appears to be in in response to a lockdown, which means a we are doing something about, it, and b stimulus, which means again we are doing something about it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that's the good news. But yeah, right. what, what I think, you know, and I'm again, this is hard to know. Yep. It's hard to know how much of the bad news actually has been factored, has not been factored, right? right? right. Because. As of now, we haven't yet seen anything go belly up, right? There hasn't been a calamity. Uh, There hasn't been a big name that has gone out of business. So there hasn't been a big name that has, you know, uh, had to um, dilute itself like heavily. Mm -hmm. Um, None of that has actually happened, right? We are still sort of in this consumer world where we know that the consumer is gonna be hurting because a lot of people are basically gonna be hurting and therefore they're not gonna be spending, right? but what about a lot of stuff that's actually already come to a grinding halt yep. and there's no money actually flowing through those businesses, right? So, I think that has not happened. So, that I think is, is the interesting um, aspect. Again, you know, the market is a forward-looking machine, so it looks forward. Uh, it's, it's not accurate, but it does yeah. look forward, right? That,
1: that's, so, that's a really good point. Let's, let's kind of sit on that for a bit because we all know kind of what's happening in the physical world. We ha- yeah, But but nothing, as you say, has kind of gone badly yet in, terms of, in terms of released results. We don't know new unemployment stats. We don't know, at least in with any detail, the total number of people out of work. We don't know the share of GDP that's been lost because of these shutdowns. So the market's kind of looking forward and going, I reckon this is going to be ugly. And so let's sell the market off by a third, give or take, and it depends on the day because <laughs> it's been so stupidly volatile. Um, you know, that, that that's that's the forward looking element, right? As yeah. you say, to some degree the market's saying, right, this is gonna get bad. We reckon some some you know, guesstimate means about a third is about right. Yeah. At this stage. Now, it's also true that, you know, it wasn't a third up front, it was two percent, then three percent, then five yeah. percent, then plus one, then minus six, then plus four, then minus twelve. You know, those those moves have been to some degree the market coming to grips with this and trying to trying desperately to, as you say, look forward and, and price in, to use the jargon, yeah, the bad news. The, the problem, as you say, is we don't know yet which companies, how badly, how long, how deep, um, how much unemployment, how much GDP growth, the flow-on effects from that, so GDP yeah. slows, and then at that point, something else happens. That's all the unknown. This is where investing, frankly, it's always hard, right? You, you, yeah. can, never, you can never tell the future. Maybe it's, I don't even know if it's harder necessarily in downturns, but it certainly is more emotionally taxing in the downturns, but there is exactly that story of like, has the market put factored in enough decline? too much decline not enough decline that that one will know of course in hindsight it depends on what happens from here but that's exactly why it's so uncertain
2: yeah and, and the, the other thing in you know this the psychological plays on people's mind it actually plays plays on my mind and then I have mm. to sort of sit down and do a little bit of a math to you know remind myself so one of the things I want to talk about here is the market declines from say you know 100 points 30 yep. you're, percent you're down to say 70 points yes just, you know assume that is your index now if the market goes up it actually does not go back to the same point. It actually needs to go up a lot more to actually Go exactly. back to the hundred right. point. So it right. falls
1: by thirty percent. It's going to fifty go percent to get back to <laughs> exactly. Side exactly. That. Yeah.
2: And 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 so therefore you might have these days where it seems like oh the market went up a yeah. lot. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's actually right. still. So then the
2: market actually falls <laughs> yeah. very quickly. Yeah. And then it makes these slow climbs. Yeah. Um. Y- you know. So I, I think again that psychologically <laughs> you need to remember <laughs> that. So it might look like oh okay I'm you know if if somebody's thinking about buying something and they say oh you know market fell by thirty percent now it's yeah. you know up by ten percent and therefore I've missed out. <laughs> well, not really because yeah. You know, ten percent rise from seventy points is only like you know you've gotten to like seventy-seven, yeah. right? You're still for, you know if, if 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 you if you're if you're thinking in terms of the discount relative to when. Stuff started, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. going bad. Uh, Anyways, that's something to think about. But
1: yeah, it's a good point. I I mean, the the other thing, the other good thing, if you like, is that uh, if you own a stock like I do, some of the travel stocks I own that have been down, you know, sixty or seventy percent. When they fall another ten percent, it's just not quite as painful as it was in the first ten percent because the shares are already down so much that you know, ten percent from ten percent from two bucks is different to ten percent from twenty bucks. So I don't don't know if that's better or worse, but at at least at least I know the dollars are different to the to the percentages. You know, again, I I mean, I only just. Almost in in some form of gallows humor, uh, because that's just kind of the situation that we find ourselves in. But I I take that point.
2: Yeah, and I'll make one last point, and then I think we can talk about other things. Uh, You know, one one of the things that I think is interesting is as as investors, for us to think about, similar to many like you know small to medium scale businesses, the the issue is not really about. business prospects uh-huh. over the long term. The issue is really about business prospects over the short term because many companies wouldn't have the cash yes. or the ability yes. to yes. tide over, yes. um, say, a six-month downturn. Yeah. And and this is not just true for, you know, SMBs or cafes, restaurants and things like that. They're definitely going to be hurting, or, you know, the hairdressing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the barber salon or the nails and, you know, beautician store or the physiotherapist. This is actually true for in the listed market too yep. yep. for a lot of companies the main issue right now is just the ability to you know so it's really a question of you know do you have enough cash right right, right. and can you reduce enough of your cash expenditure or cash burn yeah so that you can tide through um and and in the market has an interesting dynamic when the market starts suspecting that cash <laughs> might be a problem and this <laughs> is like, right. this is like a vortex That's you know right. this is like a vortex in which a A company which is otherwise good gets stuck, and then this becomes a problem, right? It it becomes a problem because the market recognizes, oh, you don't have enough cash, and therefore it knows that you're going to need cash and starts discounting your price. The more, more you discount the price, the harder it becomes actually for this company to raise at any sustainable um, level, right? So if a company has to, you know, raise cash at Roughly, say fifty percent of you know, or sixty percent, or seventy percent discount. <laughs> yeah. Basically, it can grow in earnings as much as it wants, yeah. but on an earnings per share basis, it is basically stuffed,
1: right? Right. Right. right.
2: Um, so, I think that's something again, and that's happening uh, and unfolding at this point.
1: Right. So, just and just put some numbers to, as to why that's true, mate. I just I'll, I'll try and add something. If you're if you've got a hundred million dollar market cap and you need to raise ten million dollars, then you have to give away ten percent of the of the the ownership to somebody else. If are if the Bitcoin market knows you're in trouble and your market cap falls to twenty million dollars, but you still need to raise ten million dollars of cash, you can give half the company away to raise the same cash. So that's why, to your point, you know you, you're raising a lower share price, which is is not the issue necessarily in and of itself. It's the fact that you have to raise the same amount of capital, so you're giving away more of the company to raise the cash you need. And that's to your point, where even if earnings then improve meaningfully, earnings go up twenty percent. If you give away 50% of the company, you're still behind on a per-share basis.
2: Yeah, and one, one last comment, uh, you know, on abstraction. So uh, the final thing is that, you know, as an investor, I think we, we tend to look at, say, market cap of a company and think, oh, this is a large company. Right. But, you know, a large company may actually not have enough cash. Yeah. <laughs> and then they could still be in trouble because they don't have enough cash, right? So, um, you know, the, the mar- company's market cap is... is almost irrelevant yes. at this point, yes, right? Yes. You, you, what you really need to see is how much cash do they have relative to the cash burn.
1: Correct. And that's the hard part, man. We've been asked, I've been asked, I'm sure you've been asked regularly, You know, which company, what, where, how. The hardest part with this is that you, you can, it's easy to find the ones, well, not even easy. <laughs> there might be a small number of companies who are never ever gonna be in trouble because they've got so, many, so much cash that there's almost no circumstance which they burn it all before things get better. But that's probably what one percent, half a percent of the of companies in the ASX, even globally. They're just, you know, there was, there is a very very few who almost show no. There's almost no potential for for them to go broke. The rest is a question of and You know, we, we've tried to kind of codify this to some degree, but it's a question of what's the, you know, adding together the the rate of cash, sorry, the, the fall off in revenue, how how fast that fall off is, how long that revenue fall off lasts how my, how far you can catch your costs and then how, how quickly revenue picks back up again. Yeah. Because because that, that's all the maths, right? You, you can know how much cash a company's got now, but does revenue fall in half for three months? Does it fall 100% for six months? Do costs, are costs almost exactly fixed or can you get 90% of your costs? Um, it, it's, I mean, you can make some educated guesswork around it, but there are so many variables here. It's just incredibly difficult to do with any degree of accuracy. You're either – I mean, there's there's some that are absolutely obviously in dire straits. There are some that are very few that are absolutely obviously or almost obviously going to be okay. We can never guarantee anything on the upside, of course. Uh, but there's a whole heap in between, the vast, vast, vast bulk that are just a question of, well, I guess it depends how long and what the banks do.
2: Yeah, I think that that's fair. I think that the issue – I um, was without again going to specifics. I think is a lot of companies. You, you know, I think that it's, it's the same. It's the human psychology at play. Yeah, and if. If companies have not seen hard times and they've not really done disaster planning, yep. then they have also, you know, life is great, life is good, and therefore they have continued, you know, with their normal ways. And then that basically means that mm. you you effectively are left with less cash on the balance sheet. And then if you're left with less cash on the balance sheet, that's where it becomes trouble. So yeah, I, th- I think, um, mm. yeah, there are absolutely lots of companies I think in that that sec- side, and I think consumer discretionary especially is 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 probably the red hot zone in my view because, yeah. I mean, that's where a lot of things come into play, right? I mean, a lot of, basically, a lot of things are closed, yes. right? You yes. can't do a lot of things right now. <laughs> that's right. If you can't do a lot of things. Yeah. Well, even if yeah. you have the yeah. money, you can't yeah. spend yeah. it. So money is basically not moving. Correct. And a lot of people, um, you know, then there are sentiment issues, right? If people don't have jobs, they're not going to be spending because they don't have jobs. Right. So uh, these things take time to get fixed. I think consumer discretionary is really an area where if if somebody's looking to actually, you know, something might look cheap but it could be actually a value trap because, um, again, we really need to know um, how they'll be able to, you know, tide over Mm -hmm. the next time. Again, I mean, I think what I'm basically saying is, you know, it's a broad stroke statement, right? That doesn't mean that if there are 100 companies, there's not one. There would be one or two that would be perfectly placed to, you know, sail through this and come out shining on the other side.
1: Well, that's the thing, right? So right now, so many of these companies have been beaten down so badly. The ones that survive are going to be phenomenal wealth creators over the next two years. I mean, if you, know, if you could know with any certainty the businesses that are going to get through this, you're looking at really, really huge gains. The, the problem is, as you say, we don't know how many, we don't know what proportion, we don't really even know at this stage how to handicap those odds by company, by sector, by industry, um, because this is unprecedented. I mean, the, the lockdown length itself will be probably the primary driver of of their survivability, right?
2: Yeah, Uh, I think the only caveat I'll add, uh, you know, the ones that are obviously going to survive. Hmm. It, it, you know the, the ones that you could actually, basically, you know, close your eyes and say this is surviving. This is going? They actually have not been sold off as much.
1: And that's, ex- right? and that's exactly the point. So, yeah. so
2: what you really is, you know, you have to go basically through the garbage bin, <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. right?
2: and you go through the dust bin, and then yep. you yep. try to yep. find the ones. You know, that's yep. incredibly yep. hard. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> in the dust bin, you know, yep. among the dirt, you get your hands dirty, and then you might find one <laughs> or two. Uh, right, but right. there's going to be, I mean, there's absolutely going to be stuff that's going to be making a lot of money at at these prices yep. and there's absolutely lots of things that are actually going to go belly up or actually yep. never going to make money yep. because you know they're going to be substantially diluted
1: yeah it's, it's huge uh, so look, I think that's and that's you know I guess my, my last point before we move on to some of the mailbag stuff mainly other things on corona is just I, I want to re-emphasize I've, I've been doing it recently last week or so with different different kind of public or, or otherwise you um, uh, yeah appearances probably sounds like a very wanky word probably is you know what i mean um in all the different forums that we've been we've been talking i've been emphasizing in 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 lots and lots of times the the value of the portfolio itself right so this is you know we we have members we have listeners we have readers who will want to buy the stock that we think is best or you know which is the best stock right now or which is the best act to buy the answer is almost certainly there isn't one stock, right? Particularly in, the, as you said, mate, the the, the the ones that are going to survive haven't fallen by definition, so there's no sort of slam dunk opportunity there. The ones that have fallen most and have the biggest chance of rebounding also have the biggest chance of going broke. So whichever approach you take as an investor, please, please, please make sure you have a portfolio, diversified portfolio, ideally at least fifteen stocks, preferably twenty um, of companies that you just you know you think overall are going to be market beaters, because when you're wrong and you will be, as we will be. Then we the portfolio itself is constructed to support that reality. And I think that's for me. If there's one cl- clear message out of here, the, the first is patience. The second is portfolio. Maybe there's another P. We can do it three P's at some point. Um, but at least at least have a portfolio approach to your investing. Don't buy one stock you think is going to go well, no matter how how good or otherwise it is, um, because you really are taking risks that you otherwise might not want to take. Just on that, mate. One last thought too from me on on Corona generally, and it's it's about the the market approach or the market size, whatever we want to call it, um, the, the, the right now, so here's the thing. The market's off 30-something percent. I don't know what the numbers are right now from from the February 20 highs. And at some point, you've got two choices right now, right? If the market bounces back, let's say at some point in the distant future, it comes back to be Back, back level where it was in February. Let's just let's just pick that, right? So let's say the market's down a third because it makes my maths easier. When it grows, it's going to grow 50% to go back to that level. Now, let's say it takes a year, two years, three years, four years. It doesn't really matter how long for the purpose of this exercise. People are saying to the, to us, hey, what about a company like, say, CSL, for example? It's down 13%. What a great price. And it may well be true, but if you think moving forward from here, if you can buy the market, so an index ETF, for example, and be up 50% when the market regains its current highs, and CSL goes back up by the amount it's fallen to its previous highs, you're actually going to get left behind with CSL compared to the market, no matter how good a quality that particular business is. And with that, we're talking about the particular business, it doesn't really matter which business it is, but just the idea that if you're buying one that's fallen a little bit because it's great, I don't think that's necessarily a terrible idea. Just be mindful that if you didn't, if you weren't buying it pre-crash, slump, fall, whatever we want to call this thing, crisis, um, but you're buying it now because you're, you, know, you think now is finally a good price... The market is actually much cheaper than the company in relative terms, and if and when they both go back to their previous highs, the market's going up a lot more than some of those businesses. So again, by all means, own the business. By all means, be comfortable and, and sleep And I think they're they great things to do. Just be mindful that if you're buying it because you think this is the once in a lifetime opportunity to make this make some great money, I would I would argue that in most cases, if and when the market gets back to where it was, it's likely to actually do better than those stocks from here. Just because when they both go back to normal and that pessimism slash downturn impact is removed the math doesn't support the big small fallers beating the market from here do you have any thoughts on that
2: yeah i, I wouldn't disagree with that i have a i think a slightly different tack on that sure so um, um what so it is true that the a lot of big names would not or big names and obvious mm-hmm. ones that are not going to f- die uh, uh, um, are not going to fall as much. That is definitely true. Um, There will be of course other businesses that are just going to be, you know, there's going to be a lot of, you know, babies thrown away with sort of the bathwater, yep. so to speak. Um, some of them might be in the smaller end. Some of them might be, you know, because people's sentiment have changed to safety. So, for example, people might have decided that, well, mm. you know, in in such crazy mm. times, the only thing I want to hold is like, you know, CSL and maybe something else. Um, and and that yeah, actually yeah. boosts the price of CSL up, CSL back up Just you know, yeah. more people rushing to buy CSL. Yeah. Um, so there will be companies which would have plenty of cash, which would have. Um, ability to weather the storm for, you know, a year, maybe more, right. um, which are still going to be bringing in cash that would actually be really cheap. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a, a diversified portfolio of those um, would also, I think, can do well. So, I mean, you know, you I think you have to be, if you're looking for bargains, then you have to be a bit... Um, Careful. Yep. Uh, I actually don't mind the idea of buying buying the market as a whole. I think that that's mm. you know that's that's another strategy that you could buy. But you know if you're looking to outperform the market, then you could you'd have to buy other things. But yep. yeah, but I think that's a pretty you know good way to make
1: money. I, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm not saying people shouldn't buy those companies at all. By the way, I'm, I'm just being you know for for those who are buying it because I think they get there some all of a sudden fantastic money to be made. If you're buying it 13% ago for CSL, for example, great thing to do and knock yourself out. If it's cheaper now, then you love it, and then even better if you thought it was going to beat the market already. That's fine. Just from here, you're kind of giving the market a head start. Yeah, you know, on the way down, you are better if you already owned it. So well done. But from here back, by the time they, you know, if you're putting $100 in both now, I would, I would, you know, a CSL would have to do double duty, triple duty to get back to. The same percentage gains that the market will do, almost by definition, as it recovers.
2: Yeah, I actually 100% agree with that sort of uh, that line of thinking. In fact, I would actually not be buying anything that has done extremely well in this market, because right. by definition, that's basically a flight to safety sort of thing. You know, as as a rule of thumb, I actually would not touch any of those yeah. right now.
1: Now, um, I want, I do want to say, mate, for what it's worth, I actually agree with you. Except, I do want to, I don't want to discourage people entirely, um, because. Yeah, they may feel better sleeping at night with a CSL in their portfolio, even if it's going to lose to the market. If that's, if that's the case for someone listing, then I think that's great. They, they absolutely should do that. Um, so I don't want to discourage people outright from from buying those companies. But given you have the choice of either buying the market or trying to beat the market, because they, they really should be the only two choices you usually would want to take, particularly if you get the market as a diversified investment. If you're buying a, an index ETF and getting thousands of companies, a diversified portfolio at a cheaper price, if you believe the market will recover... Then you can do that. That's that's the, you know, that that should be your base case, right? If you're not going to do as well as that, then I think that would be a tough argument to say. I want to, I want to invest as well as I can, and buy the market. If you say, look, I just want to sleep at night. I don't care if CSL underperforms the market. At least I like the company. I know I've got it. That's completely cool. That's not what we do at the Motley Fool. Generally speaking, uh, we'd say buy an ETF instead, because at least you get the market return. Um, actively choosing something you don't think will beat the market is is a little bit self-defeating except as I said if it's a sleep at night thing then I'm not going to criticise anybody for doing it cool alright mate let's get on with one of our favourite segments our favourite segment the favourite segment mailbag time let's do it Motley full Money <laughs>
0: Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All
1: right, mate, we got so much mailbag. Um, Listen, if you've sent us some, some questions, please stick with us. We're getting more than we can answer at the moment. So we will at some point actually have to start rationing the answers to this stuff. Uh, we do our best to answer as many as we can possibly get to. Uh, but because we get more every week than we can answer, if your um, question's still on the list, please feel free to re-ask it if you want. Um, we'll do our, We'll do our level best. All right, let's start here. Uh, Hi Scott and Doc, avid listener of the pod as well as the US sister pod and Rule Breaker Investing as well. I'm turning thirty-seven tomorrow. Happy birthday, Colin! Uh, mate, sorry, it was actually that was yesterday as we're recording. Two days ago, as uh, as you listen to this, happy birthday, mate! Um, and bought my first stock in two thousand and fourteen. So this is the first major crash I have invested through, mate. I hope you're uh, I hope you're holding your nerve. I was a member of Share Advisor for a few years, but I'm now a member of Pro, Colin you're leaving my service going to docs it doesn't exactly endear me to you mate just quietly my portfolio has gone from plus 25 to minus 20 in a few weeks I know the feeling my question is the the only foolish one at the moment how do I decide when to buy more I have a considerable amount of cash against my mortgage and so I'm looking to invest a reasonable chunk of that into the market after it has bottomed my thinking is we need some certainty around the impact and duration of the virus before we will bottom out very interested to hear your thoughts I'm going to throw this to you doc he's a pro member it's your responsibility I get to talk
2: uh well happy <laughs> birthday Colin uh, um, uh, okay great question this is a question that everybody asks yeah, no. um, um, and actually <laughs> uh, this, this, is, this is the hot question here's the thing right I'm also trying to figure out when the bottom is. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is we'll all know when the bottom is uh, in like two years from now we'll know when the, <laughs> where, where the bottom was because right. you everybody really knows the bottom for the GFC. I, 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 I don't mean that in, a, in, a, um, in as a joke or as, as, yeah. as, as, as I'm not poking fun, but I, th- I think like intuitively we all want to know, when things are going to bottom out, yeah. the the that are two issues. Like you know, you, we there are many ways to think about this. You could say, well, you know, stuff is going to get worse because you know we have not yet flattened for example you know if you think about asx stocks uh well we have not yet flattened the the infection rate in australia and therefore you know we we really don't know when you know things are going to go back to you know somewhat of a semblance of a normal (laughs) but the market also knows that
0: right exactly right
2: and the moment these you know the the uh, the you know the 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 curve Mm -hmm. uh, of infections starts flattening well it'll be Everywhere on the news. Everybody would know about that, and the market knows that too. right? So I think um, trying to exactly pick the bottom is really, really hard. Can we say um, impossible?
1: Huh? Can we say impossible?
2: Yeah, I think it's impossible. Well, somebody might luck out and pick one. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, right.
2: So it's, it's. It, I mean, you know, to pick it, um, What I guess what you could say is this, that you could say that, well, the markets have fallen a lot. So therefore... At least on that basis, it is relatively cheaper. Um, That's number one. Number two is, um, you know, if you're a pro member, what we did is we did a review of all the stocks we own. I don't know whether you're you're a member of Pro Two or Pro One, but but if you're a member of both, then for both of those portfolios, what we did is we did a review. We also, you know, recently advised some buy buy ideas. So what what we have done in that portfolio, and what have you know, what I personally do is, you know, when things start looking. Uh, like they are good value, and mm-hmm. good value in the sense that, you know, if, if and, and really, at a very high level, I'm looking at it on a, a couple of different axes, right? So one of them is, does the company have enough cash? And we just talked about this in the beginning of the podcast. Does, yeah. does, does the company have enough cash to weather through this? That's number one. Number two is, does the company actually do something that is um, essential? right so if it has a service that we think other people are going to continue i mean we would expect uh some some customers to leave some customers to churn out um uh, but you know some things are just essential like you know if, if you just need it it's like almost like yeah. your internet right I mean your yeah. internet is not going to be <laughs> cut you're not going to cut your internet unless you absolutely have to like yeah. wouldn't would some people lose their uh, yeah. NBN connection <laughs> I'm sure they will
0: but it, yeah. the,
2: the it'll be one of the last things that people will be looking to cut right so I think
0: right, right, right.
2: so I think you can apply that sort of judgment and that judgment on companies and what they do and what they provide and services they provide so, and, and so you look at that and then you can sort of think well well, you know, let's say in a year's time we start getting back to normal. Yes, this is going to take some time to get back to normal, but you know, look forward three, four, five years. Um, do you think, um, you know, what would be the earnings piece say five years from now? Again, it's a guess. Uh, it's never going to be perfect, but you can make an estimate. And, you know, a very simple thing you could do as well. Based on that estimate, you can apply a multiple, which you think is reasonable for a company of the quality that you're looking at. Mm-hmm. And then you could estimate whether or not it looks discounted to you enough or not, you know. And you, I, I would think that there are a number of companies right now which would appear, which are solid, which can actually, you know, sustain through this, mm. and which um, are discounted. And you know, I would add to them. So basically, uh, I'm not a big fan of going um, all in at one time. And the mm. reason I don't do that is it's just psychological. Mm. Um, if, like, from a pure, if if I was a robot. Yes. And I didn't have any, um, you know, psychological biases to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, then you know it would make sense if I've got a lot of money sitting around, then I would look to de- deploy them pretty quickly on those ideas that I think are, um, yeah. you know, going to be winners, right? Yeah. So if I have got 15, 20 ideas that I think are going to be winners, I've got a lot of money sitting around. Well, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe the stocks go up tomorrow. Maybe they go down, right? right. So if I think they're going to make money, I would deploy. But because I'm a human being, and I I'm going to probably crib if you know the stocks went down <laughs> further. I, what I like to do is I actually deploy it slowly, and the, and and the way I justify that, and again, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. not as I said. If I was a robot, uh, this would not apply. But the way I justify yep. this is, if I have a substantial amount of money ma invest in the market, and the market goes up, mm. well, those things that I own are actually gone up, yep. and therefore I'm happy. Yep. Right. Uh, if the market actually goes down, then if I have some amount of cash available and I apply that to the market, then I feel like, well, I invested at a lower price and therefore I'm going to do better in the future. That also makes Mm -hmm. me happy, Mm -hmm. right? So a lot of these things that one does, portfolio management is a lot about logic but it's also a lot about behavioral management and and, and, you know and 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 you have to really manage your own behavior so that you don't make those mistakes and you know i've actually felt reasonably uh you know there have been days when i've felt very um anxious but at the same time i felt reasonably comfortable this time because you know i felt that well you know I felt a little bit in control, which is, a, which, yeah, is a, yeah, yeah. which is a which is a funny thing to say because you're really not in control, but <laughs> you, you wanna <laughs> feel in control <laughs> totally because that helps you make yep. better decisions. Yep. So so that's sort of my framework. Um, yeah, invest. I, I'm you know, I'm investing, adding to things that I think are mm. Um, mm. very good bets over the next five years and that sort of Time frame. Look at cash. Look at the business. Think about the business sustainability. And I'd also say this: there are going to be, as you know, as we talked mm. about at the beginning of the podcast, there are going to be what I call, you know, picking through the garbage bin ideas too. Yeah. And I think actually that is, you know, some of those garbage bin ideas are actually going to make a lot of money because <laughs> they're going to be dirt cheap. Right
0: right, right,
2: right, And maybe a little basket of that too makes sense. You know, this yeah. is again all about how you want to deploy yeah. your your cash, you know, what sort of, you know, I think of these as sleeves, you know, hey, okay, mm. you know, some, you know, you can call them small ball, long shot ideas, but you right. know, if even a little bit of money, but with, um, but on some of these long shot ideas, you're actually um, likely to come up ahead, right? Yep. So it's a, it's a little bit of manage, manage yourself, manage your thinking. And yeah, uh, I think again, it's, it's again, I, I can't give you any direct answers. I just told you what, basically how I'm thinking about it. Yes. And then you need to think in your context. And I'm sure Scott would have, something much better to that
1: not much better at all uh, i'm going to just uh, i'm going to throw a slightly different topic or different approach to it i've been uh, so i <laughs> I think knowing your limitations, or at least knowing, to Doc's point about temperament, temperament's super important, right? Buffett himself has said, for all of his his attributes, the most important is temperament. So being able to control that either actively or even passively by doing things like pre-commitment. Dollar cost averaging is a wonderful way to do it, right? Because the money's there, it gets invested every month in whatever your best ideas are. Um, if that is something that helps you just literally invest when markets are high or markets are low, when they're in between, not having to think about it, worry about it, just removing that issue can be, to Doc's point, buying in thirds is one option. Dollar cost averaging is another version of the same kind of thing. Um, you just put your money into best idea every month or every quarter or every fortnight, whatever it is you're going to save. Um, that can be particularly useful. The other thing I'll just say is about picking the bottom is, um, here's the thing, right? I my, my general approach, my general thought right now is, you know, the ASX has always gone on to make new highs. Uh, if and when it does again, I think it will. There's no guarantees in investing. I, I'm legally not allowed to make guarantees and, and ethically we wouldn't ever try and give a guarantee for stuff like that because, hey, who knows? There's, you know, We can't control circumstance. But if the ASX is going to go on to re, re, um, re-reach, that's not a word, um, if it's going to revisit that high of February 20 again, then if it's down a third, it's going to be 50% by the time we get there. Now, let's say it takes three years. Right. That is a return of sixteen percent a year. Now it's less because you've got a compounder, but just you know, maybe it's fourteen percent, Doc. Um, maybe it's thirteen, whatever it is. That's that's a very good return if it takes. If it takes five years, well, that's a nine percent return, which is not great, but still pretty okay. And so, for me, I'm not saying I'm not saying go all in necessarily right now. I'm not saying this is the bottom or this is the time to put all your cash to work. Doc's point is absolutely right. And if you've got a lump sum, I would absolutely put it in over a, a number of months, just for the purely psychological benefit of doing it slowly, getting if, as Doc said, if the market falls, you get to buy a cheaper price. If the market rises, you made some money, you get to as an individual. And even though it sounds like I'm, you know, there's some some smoke and mirrors here, of course, we all know it's the same thing. But trust me, psychologically, emotionally, it does make a huge difference. So um, I'd be happy to buy now. I would spread it over months if I could. But my general starting point for most investors, particularly if you're not, if you're a hyper competitive investor who desperately wants to beat the market and you know you want to play the game, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say don't do it. I would say be careful. Like margin, right? Everyone thinks they'll use margin loans carefully. Um, ask yourself now. We asked. We were asked these questions three months ago, four months ago. Should you use margin? oh, how bad can it get? You know what? <laughs> if you've if you had a 75% LVR and the market falls a third, you've actually been wiped out. That You have literally been wiped out right now. Even if your LVR was 50%, you've lost two thirds, three quarters of your, your money, doc. I can't do the maths yeah. in reverse in my head. Um, Whatever
2: it is, it's pretty bad.
1: Right, right. And so you kind of, yes, you think you're the person who can pick the bottom. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. If you missed it, and you don't buy because you missed it, and then you wait for the next fall or something else. The cost of that could be stratospheric um, compared to compared to just actually investing. Maybe five, 10, 15% higher than the bottom just because you you know, you know wanted to get on with it. So I would I would personally just get on with it, particularly across the market. If you're picking individual stocks and you're particularly trying to be clever about the bounce back stuff, there is extra risk there. But again, on a portfolio level, um, I'm happy just to say, look, the market's low. I think it'll regain those highs. I think it'll go higher than the last lot of highs eventually. So if it's a 60, 70, 80% return over seven years, Again, those numbers aren't going to be stratospheric, but gee, it's worth, you know, you won't, you won't be sorry you invested if I'm right and if the market does go on to reach and then exceed those previous highs. Anyone more from that mate? So. Cool. one? No, sir. Cool. Next one from fantastic. Paul. Paul says, hi, guys. Long-time listener and subscriber and a Charter Pro subscriber. Awesome, Paul. Thank you. Who has benefited greatly from all the insights from everyone at The Motley Fool Australia. So first of all, a huge thanks. Thank you, mate. For the time being, oh, sorry, for the first time, I'm seriously considering allocating a sizable portion of my SMSF to an ETF. Here's some jargon: self managed super fund to an exchange traded fund, and just letting it sit there. I have previously ignored pros ETF recommendations. The ETF I'm interested in is called FANG Plus. Uh, there's more details. It's an ETF securities product. It has started trading on the ASX and mirrors the FANG Plus ETF. It's traded in the US. I guess the benefit is the exchange rate raffle risk is negated. However, this is not a biggie for me. Basically, it's 10 companies, equally invested, rebalanced, and populated quarterly, according to a proprietary filter. It has comfortably outperformed the net on the US market over the last six years. Current companies are Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, Alibaba, Baidu, NVIDIA, Tesla, and Twitter. Doc, these companies seem right up your path as they can be considered growth companies. But would like both your thoughts, it's very kind of you, Paul, to at least include me in the conversation. There are some; These are some brilliant companies, however, could be considered risky due to the concentration. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> what say you? Cheers, Paul. Really cool question, Paul. Doc and I actually talked about this idea for a little while ago. Mm-hmm. So, Doc, I'm going to quickly um, just restate it is 10 companies equally proportioned, rebalanced quarterly, according to a proprietary filter. So they pick 10 companies, they put 10% of the fund in those 10 companies, and they rebalance that that back to 10% each every single quarter, including making changes to the list if they want to. So that's the ETF. We've talked a lot about US tech. We've talked a lot about the NASDAQ ETF based in Australia. What do you reckon about the FANG ETF?
2: Okay, before answering that, I want to actually... Uh, directly answer something uh, to Paul here. Okay. Uh, and that's because he said. You're in trouble here, Paul. Uh, well, because he ignored. He said he ignored pros <laughs> ETF recommendations. You know, and the reason I want to. You know, I, I, we talked about this. Uh, it's very easy to ignore ETFs, don't sound sexy, yeah. right? They don't sound great. <laughs> exactly. But there was, you know, and we talked about this multiple times yeah. through multiple write ups that the reason we have those ETFs is it's actually twofold. The ETFs, one, Um, they provide access to world-class companies, many world-class companies, many sectors that we actually can't find here on the ASX. So uh, that's one reason.
1: Which gives you both diversification but also just straight-out growth potential.
2: Exactly. So straight-out growth potential. But the other thing that we talked about was the, uh, the diversification aspect is if something happens, you know, often what would happen, if something local happens, the Australian dollar takes a hit. In fact, on that scenario, your ETFs actually do really well because your ETF actually gets a dollar boost. Number two, if... Something even global happens, mm-hmm. then then too the Australian dollar actually takes a hit, <laughs> because f- for obvious reason flight to safety for, for the USD. So again, you're uh, you know so it's, it's 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 also a hedge in in that sense. So you get growth, you get diversification, and you get a hedge. Yeah. That that is a brilliant combo to have, <laughs> and not taking not investing because it doesn't sound sexy. I think is just. Um, it's not the right thing to do, mm-hmm, I think, mm-hmm. and 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 so I'd, I'd encourage people to think about those ETFs more broadly, as as providing multiple things. Now, you know, there are many ways to invest. There are hundreds of different e- ETFs. Some ETFs I wouldn't touch, um, uh, but you know, at Pro we love those ETFs that we have in Pro One. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those ETFs are doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, um, and and we're very happy mm-hmm. with them. So that that's that's that. Um, with respect to this one, you know, I have mixed feelings about this. Um, <laughs> the reason I have mixed feelings about this, so these are fantastic companies. Um, I actually own s- some of them. Uh, I'll have a quick count uh, one, two. So no, that's gonna, And Paul, you're going to just, you know, just putting me out of trading of these, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to blame Paul you, for that. Have
1: to name the, If you don't name the companies from here, mate, you're okay.
2: Uh, I can live. I can
1: live without <laughs> trading right.
2: on on these ones, and there I'm not go. traded on these ones. So, um, so I own Apple. I own Amazon. Uh, I actually recently thought about adding to Amazon, and you know, because mm-hmm. my wife said I should add to Amazon, and because my wife said I should add to Amazon, I didn't add to Amazon, which was not, not a good idea. Mate, you should have or, already
1: just bought it. You know better than that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's a mistake. Um, <laughs> I used to own Netflix, which I don't own anymore. Netflix actually done wonderfully in this crisis because everybody's watching Netflix. Mm. Uh, Google, well, I'm, you know, Google is a great company. But I pathologically don't like the company, so that's that's just my bias. Um, Alibaba is again an interesting company. Uh, Baidu, I have reservations about. I have reservations about Nvidia. I own a lot of Tesla. Um, I have no reservations about Tesla and Twitter. Actually, I have Twitter, but. Uh, Twitter for me is more of an income position because I have a, what's called a covered call running on it. I either have a covered call running on it or some short puts running on it, just as an income position. So I, I don't really. So my, my feeling with this with this, this thing is the problem is I like some of them and I don't. Mm. I'm not really a fan of some of the others. And with ten stocks, you basically get a lot of concentration. So if these are ten things, ten companies that you want to own, then you know go for it. I think this ten combo as a whole would likely beat the market that's my that's my hunch my guess
0: mm-hmm.
2: um but if i had to pick one i would actually pick the nasdaq 100 over this one okay. large largely because i think um it gives me a wider swath of companies um you yeah, still get the same sort of you know 10 percentage allocation some of the large ones yeah, that's but, true. I, but i i get some of the smaller ones as well you right so uh, yeah, so I'll caveat that by saying that if you want a more higher allocation allocations high to, you know, Tesla, Nvidia, Amazon, you know, Alibaba. Alibaba actually, I think, is a really good company uh, as well. Um, yeah, this is a, this is a good this is a good combo. So yeah, I have mixed feelings again, but again, uh, overall, I'll say this is okay. Not great, but
1: okay. Now you are less you're more uh, you're less critical about it let me put it that way than you were last time we talked about it yeah your issue in the past and the issue I have with it so I will put words in your mouth but then you can feel free to spit them back out again um, was that the quarterly rebalance means you don't get a chance to let your winners run on this stuff and so you know if if and people might have a hunch that you're like Apple and Tesla for example if Tesla's going to go from its current price to ten thousand dollars a share which is one company's price target but you get rebalanced all the way through, you still will get the kind of quarterly gains over time. But every time they cut back on that position, they're kind of, is it not a little bit of, I won't say any of these are a weed company necessarily, but it's not a little bit of kind of cutting your flowers and watering your weeds?
2: Yeah, it's a little bit of that. But that, that also happens with, uh, I mean, with the index as well, right? Because again, it all depends on relative. Like really, if everything was increasing in sync, then, um, you know, even yeah. the ind- index, you know, if you own NASDAQ 100 too, stuff is going to be sold off because, you know, something. Like, you know, if the Apple shares... Fall back right now. You're actually going to be selling off yep. because yep. Um, they're going to be selling off Apple to you know rebalance. So I, I, that's the problem. I invest directly, um, you know. But anybody's not investing directly, then you know mm. you have, this is this is not bad. You know. Again, I changed my mind largely because I think you know. Again, <laughs> the reason I changed my mind is
1: to make me look if, silly.
2: No, 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 not that. Not that. So the thing is, not this if, time. If somebody wanted higher exposure to uh like if you buy nasdaq 100 you'd get you'd get high exposure to things like you know apple um amazon google and things like that right but if you want high exposure to those plus some of the other ones then this gives you that with the caveat that yes they're going to be you know trimming stuff Mm -hmm. um every quarter based on how things have moved so i mean uh, yeah. So um, yeah, and it has got Facebook, for example, in it. So you get you get some of the top plus. In a way, you could say that if you believe in these companies, then um then you're fine my, my really the two companies that i have some issues with uh, is reservations with is baidu right. and and nvidia uh not nvidia as a company i just don't like the price yet uh for nvidia and, and the the reason behind that is i just think the semiconductor industry overall is very cyclical and there's a lot of exuberance sometimes that gets priced in because you know they were doing something in ai and stuff like that and you know some of that stuff can work and you know they're GPU leaders and things like that, but I just think that you know its its price seems a little high relative to the price of some of the other ones, which seems okay and good, right? So I think that that's my reservation. And and Baidu has been struggling for some time. So that's more specific comment is like Baidu has been struggling for some time. I have some issues with Nvidia. Uh, I actually have some issues with Netflix, but you know it it could. Could be that I'm actually wrong on Netflix because I mm. sold my mm. Netflix mm. shows mm. after many years mm. uh, and I'm definitely wrong. Uh, <laughs> more often than not, I, I would like to think. So, um, mm. yeah, but yeah. So, I mean, you know, give or take here and there. It mean, depends on, again, what you want to achieve, but it's probably not that bad. Mm. It's not great, but mm. it's not that bad.
1: I uh, I'm going to I'm going to keep my original objection. Even though you've you've uh, you made me look silly. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I, I, I here's the two things. I don't like the rebalance. I, I don't like rebalancing. Generally speaking, it it's a great way to avoid volat- excess volatility. It generally is a terrible way to let your winners run. In my view, I also think to some degree um, the uh, the fact we know historically a lot of growth comes from the middle of the pack. Of companies that are then you know run, going to the lead, right? So if you think about the winners of today, weren't the winners of ten years ago? If you would only bought the ten top stocks of the S and P 500 or even the Nasdaq ten years ago, maybe not Nasdaq. I don't. You might know better than me. If you bought the top ten U.S. companies ten years ago, uh, they're not the top ten companies anymore. And so I, I kind of I don't love the fact that you're only buying, you know, the the, the biggest already. In that, in that group in, in the tech space which is still positive I, I'd almost to your point about the NASDAQ ETF I'd like to have some exposure to the growing list of 10 through 30 for example the ones that are you know the up and comers um, I don't know the businesses well enough at all you, you know them very well but some of those businesses you've talked about in the past some of the businesses that I don't necessarily know super well but if they are going to be the, 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 the leaders of tomorrow not even necessarily the biggest companies but have the biggest gains from here it feels a little bit like buying the FANG. it's like buying the, the already blue chips rather than maybe a combination of those plus getting the benefit of the up and comers as they as they do grow
2: yeah so i mean and that and that's what's the point i guess you made it more eloquent that was what i was actually saying is in favor of this yeah. lot is that it has this mix of the i guess the it and that's why it's called Fang Plus, right? It's yeah, got some yeah, of the, yeah. the, yeah, the right. top ones.
1: That makes sense.
2: And with some of the ones that people think are up and coming, and that list probably keeps changing over time. Yeah. Um, you know, stuff can fall off. You know, like as I said, like Alibaba is interesting. Their their total um, mm. gross merchandise volume is already greater than Amazon. Right, so I mean, it's it's amazing it's, 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 it's amazing yeah. in that yeah. that context, yeah. right? If and 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 it's got it's got it's pretty much like Amazon in that sense. It's got mm. you know, Ali Pay. It's got it's a it's got a burgeoning, yeah. um, um, you know, like a web services business or, or um, you know, a infrastructure as a service business. Um, so you know, it's it's interesting from that point of view, and you wouldn't get that from NASDAQ. It probably is, you know, the the thing. It, it you have to be comfortable with the fact that you're getting this kind of concentration. So yeah, um, yeah, I think that yeah, that's that's the flip side.
1: Nice, one, mate. I like that. Thank you very much, Paul. Hopefully that answers your question in lots of detail. Uh, next one. How long have we got? A little bit of time left, I think, mate. So we got to count for a couple more questions. Question from oh man, I've cut the I cut the question without without putting the name on it. So uh, you know who you are. is a loss. say. G'day, Scott and Doc. Big fan of the podcast. The big four banks except Commonwealth are trading at eight-ish times PE. Is Doc interested yet? There's a, there's a laughing face emoji after it. I don't know how you describe laughing face emojis on, on, on a podcast, but let's just say it's a laughing face emoji. And a hashtag, get Doc on Insta. You get extra bonus points for using the hashtag. Uh, well done. Uh, I wish I could remember who it was that asked this question. I may, while you're answering Doc, desperately try and find uh, the question on Instagram and see if I can give some credit. But good question. Thank you. Hashtag, get Doc on Insta. And the banks at eight times earnings, mate, are you buying? Uh, no. <laughs> so I have a feeling the question I expected that would be your answer. But yeah. tell us why. Um,
2: so, uh, well, very simple. So one of one of the interesting things is, um, and this has not yet played out, and I, again, I don't want to be the um, the bearer of uh, doomsday type of news. <laughs> but here's the thing, <laughs> sure right? <you> do. <laughs> um, here, here's the thing. Exactly as Australian companies, some of the Australian companies are suffering right now mm. because they don't mm. have enough cash on balance sheet and they've got relatively high debt and they have no uh, cash flow. Some of the companies have cash flow coming, uh, coming through the doors, and therefore they mm-hmm. have to stand down people. Australian households are also in that situation. One of the highest uh, you know, debt-to-disposable income prior to disposable income actually shrinking, yep. right? That puts a lot of pressure on the housing sector, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, there's a real possibility yep. that stuff will happen in the housing market, so if that happens, well, well, who takes, who bears the brunt of that? That is banks, and definitely, if if even if I'm not in on the money on that, there's no growth in yep. the housing market right now. So you yep. know they'll have to write off um, taking payments for say the next six months. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. there's going to be increase in bad debt. There'll be people, um, you know, there'll be investors, for example, who mm-hmm. you know who might have to sell or exit so yeah for the, for for exactly that reason i think because of the fact that you know we are, and i could, I could actually blame policy here mm-hmm. the policy mm-hmm. has been to encourage people to borrow 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 borrow, borrow as much <laughs> as you can borrow, <laughs> yeah. borrow 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 what can go wrong yeah yeah right and then when something goes wrong well stuff goes wrong so i think that, that is really sort of the, the Canary in the coal mine sort of thing. So I'm not touching any of the banks. Now, by <laughs> when I say this, I don't mean the banks are going bust, but I would be an uncomfortable bank shareholder because guess what? If something happens to a bank, mm. depositors are going to be fine.
0: Right.
1: I, right,
2: I right. can be sure of that. Yep. But shareholders are not what going to be fine. Go wrong, right? What exactly. could possibly
1: go wrong, right? What could possibly go wrong? Exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, mate, I, I wasn't asked for my view, but I'm going to give it because, hey, on the podcast too. Uh, I tend to agree with you. It's going to be a funny one. You know that we could have said the same during the GFC and the banks that were stunning performers out of the GFC, they really did lead the market higher in a big, big way. And if you bought 09, you you made a fortune. Uh, But as we know, um, just because it happened before doesn't matter what happened this time. And there there is still very much that risk, the economic risk right now. We don't know what that's like. And I'm actually with you on the growth thing. I have a feeling for what it's worth. I'm going to keep this on my radar because – if we can get some good economic news and the share prices don't necessarily respond fast enough, at some point, there may be the right confluence of events. just simply makes it too cheap to ignore. Even if growth is hard to come by at eight times earnings, you can get zero growth and still do very, very well. So, you know, it, I mean, I doubt the shares will be that cheap if and when the good news comes or when the good news comes, it will be, it will come. Uh, so I, I think it's worth keeping an eye on, but I, I kind of agree with you right now. We simply don't know. And these guys are so leveraged. I, I, I mean... If you think about all the, all the public comments about oh the banks should weigh get give people repayment holidays they should stop asking for repayments on loans you know the problem the banks don't own any of these things they're the pass through mechanism for the rest of us who deposit our cash with those banks and so when you, when you say to people hey this bank shouldn't collect the money don't forget these guys these guys haven't got you know war chests that are the same size as their loan books they've got war chests that are about a tenth of their loan books and so if one t- if one in ten customers doesn't pay them back. They've got, the the business is broke. I mean that you know I don't I don't think it's likely by the way, but that's not impossible. And so when people say oh the banks have made all this money, well they have, but they've paid it out to shareholders as dividends. So there's not that much cash left behind on the balance sheet if and when people demand either banks give people holidays directly or frankly, people can't pay them back. Um, just kind of be careful what you wish for, right? Because that, that, that is is—that that, that is the seeds of of potentially some economic destruction that we can avoid by just being a bit more reasonable.
2: Yeah, I'll just quickly add what, what, So I haven't looked at this numbers. So this is actually a fascinating thing to look at. Maybe I should. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the um, uh, the leverage in the Australian community? Yeah. during the GFC that's number one I, I would bet that leverage has gone up substantially right right number two the thing to look at is in, in, in GFC I think benefited a lot uh, shall benefited a lot from Chinese um, infrastructure spending yeah um,
1: that's what kept us out of recession while yep. the, the world this made. may
2: not happen this time right mm. yep. so not everything is going to be I I really think and I see that in the ASX and some of the companies is mm-hmm. there's been I guess good times for too long right. and and i think that creates all sorts of um issues because there's the entire system seems very lax yep. and uh seems ill prepared to deal with sort of a shock because can you know mm. shocks don't happen, right? Well, right, the right. shocks have not happened, right? Yeah, so yeah. I think that, you know, so yeah. so I mean, this is a, this is the, what I call what's happening right now is what I call cascading failures because you know why would you cut? You know, no you know saying um i'll go back to uh, our central bank no central bank would say okay we're all levered up now just lever up more because i need spending to grow yeah. so i'm going to cut the interest rate before i actually need to cut the interest rate in yeah, hindsight right, right. that was just a, you know really bad decision because what you did is you just continued the levering up process yeah, yeah. um so yeah i uh, you know i'd be cautious again yeah uh, i would be really surprised if um You know, um, a bank didn't get into trouble um, this time because, again, as you said, you know, these are highly levered businesses, one is to 10, right? You know, in fact, on a normal day, try getting some cash out of your bank. You know, if you ask for any decent sum of cash, they probably (laughs) don't have it. (laughs) They would require 24 hour notice to give you the cash. So,
1: yeah, the only thing that's going to help the banks in the short term is that with central banks around the world cutting rates so hard, it does give them a bit more headroom on their net margins when this gets difficult on a cash flow basis. But on a pure asset basis, the, the scary reality for anyone who, who wants to uh, who wants to think this through is the old bank run. If we all went to the bank and wanted our money back now, they couldn't give it to us because they've lent that money to a home loan uh, borrower who can pay it back over thirty years, or a credit card borrower who, frankly, can keep the debt as long as they want, as long as they pay the minimum interest. So um, that's what that's what bank runs are, right? They're, they're when everyone wants their money back. But the bank can't get his money back from its borrowers now i don't want to worry anyone i'm not suggesting that's likely to happen it's always possible it's not likely um but that's that's the reality of banking right for all of these you know banks are safe things or the the idea that somehow they may be fascinatingly profitable that kind of great stuff um that's kind of the that just something to have a just something to have a think about that's all i would say anyway that's the uh that's the story for for banks we're not going to go there just yet i don't think doc is that fair to say would you, yeah. are you, are you are you? really at banks all together? I mean, you've been bearish on banks for a while. Is there a point at which you would buy a bank? Well, well, you know, like, okay, so the
2: point at which I would buy a bank is if one or two banks got into trouble. Right. And then some intervention started. Right. That's the point at which I would look at, you know, which bank actually looks like it's going to make it through this. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because as I said, I think what's going to happen, if something goes wrong, there's going to be a backstop from the government, right? Yep, so yep, you yep. know, but that doesn't mean that's a backstop for the shareholders. So, <laughs> so, so you know, I'm I'm happy to buy, yep. um, you know, a bank at like a tenth of the price, <laughs> because at that point, from that point on, I would probably make money, right? Right. right? right. So, yep. uh, you know, it just it just appears like it's not. Banks appear safe. People think it is safe. But, you know, yeah. I would say that, you know, this is the type of scenario that nobody would have predicted, right? Correct. It's a black Correct. swan type of event. Correct. And, you know, I just don't think that the the banks are prepared for this sort of black swan type of event. So that's All my right. thinking.
1: The good news is, mate, we get to finish this podcast with another Instagram question and a good other hashtag. I, well, how, how many how many get-dog and Insta hashtags would you need to join Instagram, mate? For, for our listeners, because you, you love our listeners, I know. I know you don't want to disappoint them. So how many, how many would it take?
2: I, well, you know, I'm just not going to go on to Insta. I would tell people that, you know, if you want to, you know, chat with me, just uh, come on uh, Twitter because, you know, I, I, I still actually have my Facebook account, but I've not gone to Facebook now in over <laughs> two years, I think. Um, yeah, I'm, I've just, yeah, I just, I just don't need that much social media. Don't life.
1: give up, fellow fools. Keep the hashtag going. All right. Last question from Tyler on Instagram. Hi, uh, Scott. Absolutely love the podcast. I like yourself like Webjet and I really like it at the current market price. And this was on Sunday for the record. Um, what I'm struggling with, however, is the scuttlebutt around the stock. A search on Twitter or Facebook gives post after post with scathing reviews. How do you let this sort of thing play into investment decision? I hope you're able to get back to me in some way, either through the mailbag or on here directly. Hashtag get doc on Insta. Mate, now, Webjet's in a trading halt. As we record this. They've not been able to raise the capital they wanted, and they're looking at a convertible share offering. So, I don't actually, I don't, I don't think it's very useful to try and talk about Webjet at the current price because we simply don't know what the price will be. But we to talk about it if you want to as a business. But what I'm more interested in is the second half of the question from Tyler for our listeners, which is how do you? What I'm struggling with is the scuttlebutt around the stock, or simply a stock. A search on Twitter or Facebook gives a post after post with scathing reviews. How do you, Doc, let this sort of thing—so you know, kind of social media scuttlebutt stuff—play into an investment decision?
2: Okay, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit to Webjet as well. Um, Go for it. You know, so yeah, we've we moved Webjet on EO uh, Extreme opportunities to hold. Uh, actually, we just moved it the day before it actually went to. Mm. Uh, I think uh, went into suspension. Uh, probably a little too late. Um, so yeah, so WebJet basically is in this in this position where it needs to raise cash, and um, uh, to basically. You know, survive through this mm. patch, um, uh, and whoever is going to give them cash is going to basically demand their pound of flesh—a lot of big, big pound of flesh—which uh, means they're actually going to make money. But it's not, you know, if people, existing shareholders, they're going to be actually mm. on the receiving side. Uh, so we just hope that whatever deal they get mm. is a reasonable deal. That you know, if you over the long term, maybe you make money. But again, we don't know, without knowing the deal, it's really hard to know um, uh, what's mm. going to happen. So that, that's my current view on WebJet. Scuttlebutt.
1: So you're the company <sighs> out there who yeah. everyone's saying, oh, these guys are terrible, these guys are terrible. Are, are you kind of not buying for that? Are you buying for that? Do you, do you factor it in somehow?
2: Yes, yeah, so I, I scuttlebutt. I, I consider scuttlebutt to some extent, um, right? But the the issue with scuttle especially with reviews right so if you if for example there are sites that maintain uh, company reviews uh, yep. you know when, when i say company reviews they're reviews by employees about the ceo about the management yeah. and things yeah. like that uh, or about the service and you know it could be just about webjet and how bad or good they are right for example it is a factor uh to consider so i mean employee reviews um and reviews about management i think they and if they're of sub- substantive amount in the sense that, you know, there are enough, it's just one or two or five or 10 reviews are not enough. But if there are, mm. you know, hundreds of them, <laughs> then I think they have some meaning and some value in the sense that they give you a sense of culture in the company and yeah. how people think about um, the business overall. If you're looking at a service and, you know, let's say you're looking at an online service like WebJet and you have reviews that says it's terrible, mm. that gives you a sense that people are not happy with the service. However, might you, you could you could also look at the other thing which is mm. you know do they have traffic growth to the site do they have you know transaction volume growth to the site right. and, and it could be that people are going there because it's cheap and most of the time you mm. don't need service and those mm. people mm. who are actually providing comments are the ones that are unhappy right and they could just be a small percentage of the total big pie right so you've got to be a little bit careful with how you treat yeah uh reviews so yeah with, with a bit of a pinch of salt uh, i i do look at them but it, uh, the context really matters. Again, you have to remember that bad reviews, you know, if you, a bad ex, somebody with a bad experience is more likely to review something than mm-hmm. somebody with a good experience. I think that's, that's important to remember. Mm-hmm. So if I had a great, great experience with WebJet, I probably would not say anything, but if I had a bad experience, I'd probably come and say something. Yep. Um, yeah, so uh, I think, again, it, everything is useful, but I think, you know, mm-hmm. the extent varies.
1: Yeah, I like that. I um, I would say almost exactly the same thing, man. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna add a lot more to that because I think it's a really good answer. Uh, I tend to trust the numbers rather than the, the social stuff. To to your point, right? Um, uh, you you know, we, we if you've I've been on social media for a while. Uh, frankly, I get some lovely feedback on social media. I'm not, I'm not uh, asking for it by the way, but I get some lovely feedback. I also get a whole lot of trolling and just, just crap from people who just you know feel like they want to do that. And if I if I, frankly, for let myself be judged by that, um, it'd be a different piece of feedback. To to doctor your point, you know, people when people like, you, you get you get people comment on things when they have extreme experiences, right? When they love something or hate something, you're never ever gonna love an online booking engine. You're just not like it's. And I, sorry, I'm a shareholder. To be really clear, it's a recommendation us as well. So, um, just to just to be clear, so you know where I'm coming from. Um, I'm I'm trying to be biased, but you should always assume that anyone who owns a stock may be at least subconsciously biased, if not absolutely biased. Um. But you know, if I if I if I jump on a a, a website, I mean, so I, I will give you a different example. I've used appliances online, free plug for them. Um, they have been spectacular. I've used them three or four times. The experience is fantastic. The booking is the the, the sale is easy. The service is wonderful. I, so I I I will I have absolutely taken part of the Google kind of survey thing they send out because I've just been great. Most other things I use, I just don't bother reviewing because. It just like it's just a thing right like it's you know i went to woolies today and i got my groceries and the lady was nice and that was fine but i'm not gonna i didn't actually do it today by the way uh, but I, did, you know but i'm not gonna jump online and go oh man that was amazing uh, it, was, it was good it was exactly what i expect i was happy to go there i'll be happy to go back again i like it i'm not going to say going to review it now if i have a terrible experience like I don't know. I had a bit of a rant about Woolies, just to pick Woolies, a few months ago when they they had the you know the, the apples in plastic tubs or something. I was like, guys, do you really need the you know excess packaging in this? You know, we're trying we're trying to cut down on waste and, and fossil fuel use, and we're putting one apple in a in a bloody container. Um, and so yeah, I put that on social media, and that that's exactly the example, right? I've been to Woolies hundreds of times. I've never posted, "Hey, I had a great shopping experience today," because it was just it was good. But when something really got on under my nose or under my skin, of course they then went and said went and said, "Hey, this is you know, can you guys fix this?" So that's the example you should think about when you are looking at Scuttle. Um, the numbers are so far are so much more important. You know the, the the Scuttlebutt that Peter Lynch used to talk about. Was actually looking at people shopping there. In other words, you know, are more people going in? Are they buying stuff? Are they liking the experience? Um, that's the scuttlebutt that kind of matters far more than a shopping cranky reviews by keyboard warriors on online. They can be, they can be, they can be genuine. By the way, I'm not suggesting people aren't being genuine. Just are they actually representative? If they are, great. If they're not, well, there's your, there's your answer. Any more for you on that, doc? Um, no, I think that's that's great. Very good. First, if you're looking to buy some stocks right now, and I think you should be, uh, Doc runs a service called Extreme Opportunities. This is an ad, by the way. Uh, EO is a wonderful service run by Doc and Kevin. They are trying to find the very best growth companies they can find on the ASX and a couple of ETFs. Are there any ETFs on EO at the moment, mate?
2: Oh, we've got a couple of ETFs. There
1: you yeah. go. So best stocks, best ETFs, the best, uh, best investments those guys can find for long-term wealth creation. It is a slightly higher risk but with the potential of higher return service than some of our others. But if that's up your alley, Doc and Kevin do a fantastic job of combing through the ASX and finding you the very best ideas they can come up with. If you want to join Doc on that journey and Kevin, I would heartily recommend it, partly because I work with them and I know them very well, partly because who doesn't want to make money and these guys have done a really good job of finding some great companies that I believe over time will do extraordinarily well. You can go to fool.com.au forward slash eo podcast that's eo for extreme opportunities so that's fool.com.au forward slash eo podcast and take our special podcast listener price which is on that web page all right add over but if you don't join come on what are you waiting for it's also it's too it's too cheap right it is very cheap it's really cheap it's really um, cheap seriously like a couple of bucks a week something like that i know less than Man. coffee i swear to god Join yo. What have you got to lose? That does wrap us up. But before we go, don't forget, you can and should subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes and tell your friends. We're sure they could use a little foolish straight talk too. And of course, follow us on the socials. Start with Twitter, at Anirban Mahanti is Doc's handle. Mine is at TMFScottP. Or The Motley Fool's is at the TheMotleyFoolAU. AU. Hit us up on Facebook, The Motley Fool Australia or Scott Phillips Money, all one word, or on Doc's favourite Instagram at The Motley Fool or at TMF Scott P. Hit us your questions, your comments, your feedback, your thoughts and suggestions. We'd love to hear them. And of course, if you want something on email from us, go straight to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with another dose of Foolish Insight. Fool on. Fool on.